Welcome to the Stray Dog Film Lounge, where three stray dogs have bonded over our love of movies. I'm Colin. My name's Ross. And I'm Ian. On this podcast, we talk about one new theatrical release we've all just seen, and then one of us picks a recommendation to discuss with the group. Today, And today is the recommendation day. I was about to say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's my, I'm excited, it's my day. For Rossi Storm, it's Ross's big day. It's finally my day. (laughs) (laughs) Well then, Ross, what are we discussing? We're talking about Run, Lola, Run. It's about... uh, Oh, wait, Colin. Do you want to do the um, elevator pitch or what? Yes. Okay. After a bot's money delivery, our protagonist, Lola, has 20 minutes to come up with 100,000 Deutschmarks. To save her boyfriend's ass. To save her boyfriend's ass because he's incompetent and doesn't have his shit together. What's different about this story, though, is that we're going to tell it through three different perspectives and three possible outcomes. And so in that way, it's almost like a video game of a movie. Yeah. And you should definitely fund it because it's fucking awesome. I mean, the cool thing about the way this movie is set up is like, okay, Lola only has 20 minutes to get... What's the amount? Like 1 million francs? 100,000 Deutschmarks. It's Germany, so it's not... Franks. Okay, what are Franks? Where are Franks from? France. They're ca- wait. France calls them Franks. Yes. yes. But fr- but Frank <laughs> sounds so German. No. That's crazy. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> she's only got twenty minutes to get a shitload of money to save her dumbass boyfriend Ronnie from getting killed by uh, a gangster, right? Who he owes money. And what's neat is that's like okay. Well, she only has twenty minutes to do it. How do you fit that into a feature length film? Uh, they, uh, basically they do it three times in different ways, <laughs> but it's, it, it's kind of running on uh, somewhat video game logic, somewhat alternate universe logic where, uh, you know, a character dies and then it just resets. And it's like, here's how it would go different if they did this differently. Ross, is this the first multiverse movie? There's gotta be other ones, right? Yeah, there has to be one before this. This, this seems like the first multiverse movie. Maybe the first sort of mainstream I mean, what's what is neat is um the director Tom uh, Teichver, he uh he co-wrote Cloud Atlas with the with the Wachowskis. He also co-directed it. He co-directed Cloud Atlas. He did. Yeah, there were three directors on Cloud Atlas. I can't imagine that soup going well. Uh, I actually like Cloud Atlas. I know some people sort of are. Eh. I haven't seen it. It's it's fun. I mean, I guess it's already clear what my feelings are about the movie. So who wants to talk first? I'm going to talk first because you guys talked okay. for like an hour with the last one. <laughs> okay. Yes. So this movie fucking rolls. Uh, it's so much fun to just sort of see like how they execute each different version because it's not like and what i was afraid of after hearing what the movie was about that like spoilers we'll just put that right front and center but each time she has to go and get the money all these different people have different outcomes all these people that she meets along the way and it's different each one quick flashes yeah for the rest of her life yeah i love that because it Instead of just focusing on her, what she does does affect everything else and everybody around her. So in that way, it's in terms of like, I thought it was going to be Groundhog Day kind of logic. Nah. So where it's just him doing the whole thing, but no. Nah, it's was, like it, the movie kind of 
plays around with like how aware Lola is aware of the situation the whole time. It's yeah. like mm-hmm. I don't like for the most part she's not acting like she's reliving this, but you can kind of tell from her performance that she feels like she's done this three times <laughs> by the end of the movie. And like there is kind of like an implied connection between Lola and the security guard even though like in this third reality this is the first time they've met you know oh i love that shot in the third reality where they're both just like staring each other and they just both look so (laughs) deeply confused yeah that's cinema baby pure cinema baby it's so fucking cool how they did this movie it it, yeah it's so clean and and stylized so like yeah stylized but it feels like because this came out yeah, it came out a year before The Matrix, I think. It's 1998. Um, it's the it's same same year I was born. So basically, Run Lola Run and Ross. Yeah, Ross Ross Lola Ross. No, Run Ross Run. <laughs> a divisive year in terms of releases. Well, what's the what's the German title of this? It's just Lola Runt, right? <laughs> so it's so much more demanding the German language. Lola Runt. <laughs> <laughs> Also, oh, can we talk about the title? How they reveal the title? Oh, that was so cool. It's like, okay, so it starts off with, like, uh, a big crowd of people. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, an endless crowd of... The camera's going through this endless crowd of people. And then there's, like, talk about, like, soccer and, like, three rounds. And then the, mm-hmm. the, the security guard kicks the ball up in the air. And then we see the... the, 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 the run, Lola, We run. see, like, all the, the crowd of people have formed the title of the movie. Lola Runt. And... I I, I, so I thought this was CGI entirely, but uh, I learned from I watched the the DVD commentary today, and I learned that they only they had three hundred extras, and those are the real extras forming that crowd. But it's only like they used they formed like it, it's a composite. So like they formed an L, and they did another shot where they formed an O, and you know, wow. and then so they put they pieced it together. Yeah. And it's not an easy composite either because yeah. the camera also goes like whoop up, you know, in like a little twisting motion. So that that wasn't mm-hmm. easy shit. Sounds incredibly time consuming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everyone in this was great. I, I think especially I want to say her name right. I don't want to fuck that up. Franca. Colin, you're the German representative of the group. Yes, me me and my German constituents do believe that... Colin Villa will help us out. Yes. Uh, her name is Franca Putante. Yeah, she held this movie like an iron grip because it really is her movie for the most part. She runs, she screams. She, she does, <laughs> she does a lot of screaming and a lot of running in this movie. She man. feels like every emotion in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, like it, it was insane, especially in the fucking when she does the poker shit. <laughs> um, and he gets in, it's like, oh, it's great. And she looks cool as hell with that red hair. Really cool mm. character design. I, I, I think yeah. the Wachowskis and the Daniels have definitely both seen this movie, right? Oh, well, I mean, obviously the Wachowskis have seen this movie because they worked with Tom after this. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the aesthetics of this movie. Go for this it. is like, like even the, the the back cover of the DVD even describes this as like, the first sentence is a thrilling post MTV roller coaster ride. 
That's exactly what it is. It's the most MTV movie ever. Has really fast cutting. It has like German house music uh, throughout the whole movie. Yeah, baby. Um, And by the way, Tom Teichver is one of the three composers. It's him and like two other guys that he always works with uh, for the score. That's cool. And also, uh, Franca Potente uh, Lola actress, she does the vocals in the songs. Oh, nice! So, so it's like the songs are like her her inner well, monologue thought, as a character, monologues. which are in English for some reason. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the the aesthetics are so fucking tight. Like the the, the parts where it's just animated. Oh, where, those are awesome! Like the, the opening credits, and also the parts where she's going down that endless staircase mm-hmm. and with the dog and stuff. I Love really it. like that animation style. I like scrappy looking oh, animation. Remind me of like early Rugrats, kinda. Exactly. Awesome. You know, like a, I, a little more digital, but yeah. I, I know I'm the I'm the millionth guy to say this, but hand drawn animation, it's cool. Yeah. I like it. They should bring it back. The, yeah, the movie has like a very distinct <laughs> visual language. So everything from uh, Lola and Manny's perspective are shot on film right uh, normal color film and then anything in the past is black and white and then anything mm-hmm. that's not from lola or manny's perspective but happening in the present is shot on shitty videotape yes yeah. <laughs> which like was confusing because the first time they do it and it's really noticeable is when uh the dad and his mistress are talking to each other mm-hmm. and it feels like a weird soap opera at first, yeah, and 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 then you're like, wait, what's going on? Is this a shot from uh, on a TV? What are we looking at? No, it's just it's <laughs> that's just the style, and that's kind of neat. I love the direction from this. It's just it feels like it's Tom's movie. It's it is very and like I don't know, like I don't know if Tom's other. I, I'm I kind of want to get more into t- more of Tykfer's work because I think this was his peak. Like I'm, I'm not sure if you're gonna find something as good as this from from what I looked on Letterboxd and what the people have to say on there. I mean, I think it's like because it's like this is a style that could only exist in 1998. Yeah, uh, along that point, like it, it really feels like it's it doesn't feel dated though. It feels like a perfect time capsule in the in the way that like Skullface seems like a perfect encapsulation of the 80s. You know, what yeah. I mean, the, there's so many times where we. Whenever we look at a movie that has aesthetical principles different from our generations, we want to laugh at it and we want to be like, oh, this is dated. But that's just terribly presumptuous because that's like saying like the aesthetical principles that our generation has is superior to all others. And this movie, Run Lola Run, is almost like a big middle finger to that uh, presumptiveness. It's like saying, no, we are boldly 90s. And it fucking... We are proudly MTV generation. We are proudly yeah. MTV generation, yeah. and we fucking rule. Yeah, we fucking rule. And the generation that we grew up in, 2010s, I feel like the aesthetic principle was Grayscale and Burrs from Hans Zimmer. Yeah, I mean, it's like, even though I was born the same year as this movie, I still feel like a, a, a connection to this aesthetic, because the early 2000s were not that different from the late 90s yeah and a lot of culture from the late 90s was still bleeding over into the early 2000s so like that's still kind of like the way that music video vibe it was still kind of a thing 
Yeah. So even, mm-hmm. and it's also kind of neat is that more culturally distinct is this isn't just 1998. This is 1998 Berlin, which this mm. movie makes Berlin look so fucking cool. It really does. <laughs> it I really so wanted to travel there. I want to go like, there. Yeah. It, it looks, looks so clean cool. too. You know what I mean? The, the, mm. the doesn't seem to be that much little. Yeah, which is weird because this is also like a crime movie. I'm like a little, I'm a, I'm a little suspicious on like the ease of getting a gun in Berlin, <laughs> as depicted in this movie. Because it makes the city look pretty utopian. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like so, I, it's like, why do these yeah. characters have a gun? They're in Europe. Well, it's, they're actually, well, there's really only one gun, right? And yeah, it's like I mean, one of, and also one of them gets yeah. stolen from a cop. So I guess, mm-hmm. all right, whatever. <laughs> what do you think that hobo's got to do with the gun? <laughs> remember that moment in, in act three yes. where, uh, yeah. i feel like this is a movie you can kind of get away with spoiling because it's such an experiential movie yeah that's it's like, like it's like mm. spoiling skin Rick. yeah it's like i can i can tell you the plot points but like you still haven't really experienced it if you don't see it you know i i feel <laughs> like there's like a sort of connection between skin and and run little run and that these directors set up these rules that they cannot break but somehow these rules that they put on themselves further enhances their creativity. Yeah, like the again, like the the color film versus black and white film versus uh, uh, the um, video cassette. Yeah, yeah. But, plus also like the the strict time frame of the twenty minutes to get the money. Yeah, and then you know what are her options? First she's nice, and then she screams, and and then robs tries to rob the bank. And then she just says "fuck it" and goes to the lottery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, goes to a casino. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like Lola going to her dad for the money was like the most dislikable thing about her character. No, but it's like, yeah, it's logical. Like, I mean, like it's like, what? Look, like if you're if you need to get you got twenty minutes to get a uh, million dollars or whatever, right? And your dad works at the bank. Yeah, I'm gonna ask him first. <laughs> I guess so. You know? I guess so. I mean, I guess that is kind of a that does that is kind of a plot contrivance. Like it does kind of make it seem almost a little too easy. But the mm-hmm. fact that even though her daddy works at the bank, it's still not that easy. No, and he's he's kind of a dickhead of a father. Yeah, he's a yeah yeah. Like the bank teller had to even just yeah get the first shit the first act anyway. he tells Lola that he's, he's not such a dickhead he, he, in that first act. First act, he straight up tells her that that he's not her real father, <laughs> and that I'm leaving your mother for, for this for this mistress for this trumpet. Yeah, he's such a dickhead in that first act, and it, it's really mm. this this feels. And I'm so other people have have mentioned this. This feels like a deeply feminist movie because all the men are helpless in this film yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like manny is the is the definition the stuff manny makes well, yeah, lola go he, through for this he is about as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop but colin you do have a point because even with manny he didn't even pay for the fucking phone call it was some elderly woman exactly. it was that blind lady yeah that blind lady like the, the 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 men in this movie are completely helpless. Like even when that EMT is trying to resuscitate the guy who got in the it takes car the touch crash, of a beautiful woman. It takes to the touch of down. a beautiful woman <laughs> to bring him back to life. I'm not sure how feminist of a text this is, but uh, I can tell Tom Tykver 
likes women and respects women. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a given. The feminist part does make me uh, remember the uh, the segments that come in between the resets where it's just mm-hmm. uh, Manny and Lola in bed having deep relationship oh, conversations. Those, those yeah. felt so gasping away. Like with the lighting and, and, and the framing and everything. Those are also some of the best parts of the movie too. They were great. For anyone that's ever dated a, a woman, that first conversation is written so realistically and convincingly. Mm-hmm. Oh, that yeah. whole thing of of well, what if you didn't date me? Would, would you you know? Then you wouldn't. I wouldn't be the one. You know, <laughs> just like that. Like and then like yeah. she's just like and then he's just like, what do you want me to say? I don't know. <laughs> like that, that's such like. Uh, and then what? What I was neat it was a neat thing from the the commentary. The commentary on the DVD is with is a uh, Tom Tykefer with the actress who plays Lola. She was saying that usually with uh, parts written for her written by men, she tends to make adjustments and change her her lines. Mm-hmm. She didn't change a thing with that scene, which I think is neat. That's cool. Yeah, because those moments in the movie, like even though I love you know the resets, the animation, and everything. I feel like those bits and pieces and conversations are probably my favorite part. Yeah. Just because it's so... That's the heart of the movie. Yeah, it's the heart. It's realistic. It feels really gripping. And then you get, after that, it's like in between all of it, you get all these fun, inventive action scenes. Yeah, because it's like we need to actually see their relationship to know what she's running for. Mm Mm-hmm. And then also... Um, those conversations also are conversations about fate and what if this thing happened in the past instead then we wouldn't be here you know it's a brilliant structuring device what if you die then what do i do you know yeah the movie's about the butterfly effect without being about straight up time travel yeah i love chaotic movies where those are deep structure to them you know what i mean uh I, I don't like when a movie's chaotic and there's just like you have no idea what the fuck is going on. I love controlled chaos. And this movie is just definitive of what controlled chaos looks like. And I love it for that. And also, it's like, it's deep, but not too deep, you know? Because ne- it never slows down. <laughs> it, it gets its themes across. I mean, it does slow down, but it doesn't... Like, because I feel like that was kind of a problem with like everything ever all at once I had was that it's so fast paced, but it's like a super long movie, and then all of a sudden it really slows down to get emotional in the end, and it it just ke- and it's still going and it's still going. And it's like okay, I'm checking my watch, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, it has the emotion. It's a tight eighty minutes. It's such an efficient movie. It gets its themes across in like the the quickest, snappiest way ever. Like whenever she bumps into someone and then you see the rest of their life flash in just like quick still photos. Yeah, I like the one with so the uh, with the banker uh finding a woman and getting it into like BDSM with her <laughs> yeah. and like that that's awesome. I love that. That's so funny. Oh, does everything with the lady pushing the code? And just showing yes. how miserable her life is going to be in the future. Yeah. I love to that. <laughs> I'm not... I, my one complaint about it is I'm not entirely sure how Lola bumping into them causes those things. Maybe they don't. Whatever. <laughs> but the thing is, like you said before, it's the butterfly effect. Yeah. It all depends on 
just these small little moments a footstep a, a bit of a brush or a bump yeah but also i think it's like there are there are timeline changes that happen independently of lola's presence because we yeah. see the the conversation between the dad and his and his, and his mistress playing out differently before lola shows mm. up in the second act you know but she's still running yeah yeah but she, yeah but i'm just saying like even in these these timeline resets there are things that are different independent of lola being causative of those changes yeah you hmm. know which i think is um neat like it, it's it makes it more about the whole world as opposed to just one person making choices it's like we're all making choices like the whole movie opens up with like wandering through a crowd and looking at s- different strangers that you're gonna see later in the movie also, by the way, fun fun fact is a lot of the the minor characters are played by like super famous German actors. I love that. <laughs> the intent of that is to give the feeling of like, oh, that character could be a main character in his own movie. Ah. Like everyone has their own life, you know. So like like the hmm. the people playing, you know, Lola and Manny, they're not super famous. Oh yeah, like this is the like breakout wars in a way. And then like the guy playing the security guard. He's like a big comedy star in Germany. He looks like a caricature. He yeah, looks like a caricature yeah. of like a funny daughter's German man. He's like, yeah, he's like German Kevin James. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> like he's, definitely. He's, 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 he's German <laughs> yeah. Paul Blart mall cop. <laughs> yeah, like he just oh, doesn't know what he's funny. doing. Yeah, uh, but he's like, you know, he's got a heart to him. He's got, he has heart problems. Does he? Do, do we show him taking his meds or anything like that? No, it's in the in the second act. You see him during the bank robbery. Uh, his heart starts being faster. You can hear it, and he's oh, like, yeah. gripping his chest a little bit. And then in the third act, he's the guy in the ambulance that uh, Lola resuscitates. I thought that was oh, Mr. Right. Lake. Yeah, I thought that was no, the guy that who was, got in the car no, crash. That, no, that was the security. Yeah, it's he's kind of unrecognizable because he looks so shitty in that scene. Yeah, <laughs> he's like covered in sweat and like. It's he's very it's pale like the ca- too. The camera is like, mostly focused mm-hmm. on his chin. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of he's kind of unrecognizable <laughs> in that scene. But yeah, that's as clarified by Tom Tykfer in the commentary. That is the security guard. That's funny. He's aware that a lot of people don't recognize him in that scene. <laughs> I mean, this movie also raises like a lot of great video games. They're they're deeply entertaining, but they can also raise some deeply profound questions about determinism and free will and i i feel like the video game uh medium especially is great when it comes to free will questions because you're literally controlling the character and so a lot of the best games comment on that and uh i feel like this movie certainly does that as well so do you guys think that this movie believes that we have free will or are we uh slaves to the butterfly effect and simply are at the mercy of it. No, because I think the antithesis of free will is there being only one timeline that we're stuck in, mm. right? Yeah. Right. If we don't it's have like, free will, it's preordained. Only one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the idea of there being like, if you make a choice, that'll change the outcome of things. But then you can make another choice along the line that changes another thing, and then that changes another thing. You know, that's free will to me. And, I, you know, I think this movie is definitely a clear example of it. It's like things can happen to you and that can cause stuff, but also you can do stuff and that'll cause stuff. 
Exactly. I definitely think that just in life in general, it's what you do makes up your fate. Yeah. Fate has been used in a lot of different ways and concepts, but to me, the fate or the destiny, whatever you want to call it, it's up to you. You know, it's what you, it's almost like, not necessarily karma, but like just in a sense of walking down the street, you know, that could be to great danger. That could be to whatever. And you could bump into a, a very rich hobo. Hey, look, I've bumped into Kevin Smith a bunch of times. So it's Same just thing, something where much. he is a very yeah. rich hobo. Yeah. <laughs> He's, you know, I bump into him just by walking in a red bank. You yeah. know, it's just yeah. something that like, I just think whatever you do, I mean, even uh, sometimes on Instagram, if I post something for like a movie I really like, and I know that person's on Instagram, I'll tag them and just say like, you know, oh, such and such made this really cool thing or whatever. I mean, even uh, with Godzilla 1998, the guy who made the design for Godzilla and the animatronics and some of the models, you know, I tagged him in something and he reached out to me talking about all these different things that they did for it. Oh, that's pretty cool. So it's even just little shit like that. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, I didn't expect that to happen, but hey, cool. So do you guys believe that we have a fate set in front of us? Or do you think it's kind of like a, do you think life is a choose your own adventure type of game? I think it's a choose your own adventure type of game. Choose your own adventure. Which is pretty cool. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's my big gripe with Greek tragedies. It says the, the, there's too much of a sense of fatalism to them. You know what I mean? The, the, the protagonist really doesn't have any control over where they're going. You know? And mm. I like this movie because the, the character has total control over where she's going. Even though there's some external circumstances that can fuck her up. Yeah, but it is like a little interesting how like this movie plays around with her awareness of her ability to hit a reset button through kind of through it kind of almost feels like sheer will like when she dies she's just like no (laughs) yeah nope stop dying no (laughs) i mean by that same token though that entire situation could have played out in her head though and they she could be like no that's not the smart way to do things you know yeah no but i think it is like there's a bit of I guess there's a bit of magical. There's no, there's a magical element to the reset though, because I do feel like mm-hmm. there is an implication of like she feels like she's done this already, but it's not yeah. well done. That I think, like, yeah, this movie doesn't fuck around. It doesn't. Yeah. It it it, it you know like it, it just it has to keep going. She's only got twenty minutes. She doesn't have time to dwell on it. Yeah. It reminds me of. I mean, if you want to sort of trace back this idea, almost in the sense of what happens in each different situation or in It's a Wonderful Life, you know, he asks, hey, I want to see you. I wish I was never born. Yeah. And then when he sees that outcome, he's just like, no, I want to live. I want to do things. Mm. So, and I think that kind of goes down a bunch of movies, even with Back to the Future. Um, yeah. There's a lot of choices in that, even though that's to keep it on, you know, the same timeline that it was in the past it's just yeah that's sort of how i feel looking back at different films and seeing them in this yeah like it's very interesting that a lot of films that deal with characters changing their fates and so on and so forth usually involve time travel 
or they mm. involve encounters with the divine, such as with It's a Wonderful Life, him uh, having his deal with the angel. I don't like the sound of deal with the angel because it's, it's dealing with. Deal. You, you gotta deal with this fucking angel. I, I gotta, I gotta deal with this fucking angel. But, oh, but I just but, gotta, I gotta deal with an angel right now. I just. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but his his partnership with the angel. Yeah. Well, it's like a visit. A visit. A visit. Thank you. Yeah. That was the word whereas I was this, for. whereas this movie, it feels like the device is just like the editing of it. <laughs> oh yeah. Like it, it's, it's just, just like, like <laughs> it's just like. Okay, we're flashing. We're, we're we're flashing back to that phone now. We're doing yeah. a, a jump cut thing between the bag and the phone now. Oh, I thought the editing was great too. The editing was so much fun. Taikvo's direction is very childish in the best way possible. He really he's feels like a, a gleeful child. You know what I mean? And he's like, "No, I don't like how that worked out. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again." And like, I just I loved that <laughs> joyousness of his direction. Like those very yeah. few. It, this feels like Evil Dead Two. Well, you just know that the director is having a great time making this movie. And also is like going nuts with the camera. Like they had to invent oh, yeah, I love they had that to shit. invent all these crazy rigs just to keep up with Lola. <laughs> like that was like that was like the biggest challenge of the of making the movie was that like she just she can run so fast. And it's yeah, like there's like there's a hell. scene where like the only way they could do it was to have a person with a steady cam run backwards and so she had to pretend to run faster than she's really running in order for him to not trip <laughs> and like or like they had to like invent like a weird car rig to keep up with her cuz you can like really feel that speed with oh, like yeah. the pillars in the foreground in like this really mm-hmm. telephoto shot like zooming past it's so cool and it's also like it's always visually clear like it's never shaky that's what i really like is when whenever there's one of any kind of big action or whatever a lot of like action crime movies yeah. oh they love shaky cam where there's they like a ticking clock cam. there's yeah. always a, yeah there's always oh, a shaky cam oh my god yeah. i can't see anything even like, un- like even like uncut gems is like very like handheld like stuff like that mm-hmm. you know i hate that shit yeah i really do it's so aggravating this one's so this is so clean yeah, and I love it for that because it, there's clarity to it. It feels, I mean, even though it's not against shaking, it just feels like you're running with her. Yeah, I'm, and I'm glad this movie exists before the invention of the drone. Fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Because there's only like, there's only a few helicopter shots because, you know, you can't do a lot of them, right? And I feel like if this if this movie existed with, with drones in existence, they would like abuse the drone shots. Yeah. Can we go on a sidebar to comment about how drones suck and we should stop using them as a cinematic storytelling technique? Well, I, I've heard they're good in ambulance. I haven't seen ambulance yet. They but... actually don't use them in ambulance. They're, yeah, they mo- do. Most of it is helicopters. L- like Michael Bay would call Jake Gyllenhaal the day before shooting, and he's like, "Look, man, I I, I got this the, this helicopter who, that's gonna come in tomorrow." And Jake was like, "How the fuck did you get a helicopter out of thin air?" Because <laughs> uh, I, I I heard that like he's using because like have you seen that video of like that really impressive drone shot inside a bowling alley? Like there's this there's this really cool shot I saw on like Instagram or whatever once, where it's just like this drone flying through a bowling alley, getting all these great angles. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's exactly what we should be doing with drones instead of just getting boring overheads. Yeah. 
like Banshees of Inisherin is like an example of a movie that's like this movie didn't need a, a drone. <laughs> like it, <laughs> yeah. did, it doesn't need because it's such a small intimate story. We don't need these a, a, a bajillion wide overhead shots. You know, it's too easy now. It, it's it's too it's too easy to get an overhead now. Drones in filmmaking just seem, for the most part, unnecessary. It just seems unnecessary. It, it it just feels like filmmakers are like playing with a new toy, and they're like, "Oh, look what I can do!" You know what I mean? It it very rarely solves the story. Mm-hmm. There's so many like student films I've seen at like film festivals where it's like, "Oh, they got a drone," and they're, they're <laughs> so fucking proud of it too. When you talk to them after the festival, they're like, oh yeah, my, my buddy is drone certified. And we got that really cool drone shot. Did you notice that, that we used a drone for that shot? Wasn't that cool, man? And it's just like, enough. I do respect drones when they're used to get like a, a ground level tracking shot. That I think is cool. That I like. Mm-hmm. There's a movie that has a really cool one that I can't remember off the top of my head, but, like, those are cool, and that's actually, like, impressive drone piloting as well. I like when drone shots, and I think this is what you were talking about with ambulance, there's a lot of shots where they speed downwards, you know, yeah. and, and, and there's clearly, they clearly can't do that with the helicopter, so Bay does it with, with a drone. But then, like, it would, like, you know, the idea of it, like, goes all the way down, but then it keeps, but then it goes forward, and you're then looking forward Then it goes forward. forward. Those are cool. Those are cool, like some nice dips and stuff, but I don't I don't need a big overhead shot of the entire village. I don't need that. I mean if you're gonna do that, limit it to like one. Limit it, you're allowed one big overhead shot. Like you're allowed one West Side story opening. Yeah, but like uh, but the same token too, I would like it to be on a helicopter. There's a greater sense of weight. You know There's what I no mean? difference. There's no difference. No, I, I think feel the just... difference. I feel the difference when when it's a helicopter shot. There's a sense of like it's a human point of view. With a drone shot, it feels omniscient and weightless. So if you're going for like uh, the impression that it's a ghost looking over the world, then a drone would be great. But if it's supposed to be from a human POV, I feel like a drone shot totally misses it entirely. Yeah. I have mixed feelings on drones. They can be used for great cinematography, but a lot of times it does feel like just this little thing on a remote control. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a, like a toy. It's a gimmick. You know, you know what I mean? It's like. It's a toy. It's a small little thing that, like, again, it can help you, but also it is kind of a pain in the ass because. Just the controls can be like... But also think about how much more of a pain in the ass a lot of the shots in the run low the run are. But the most satisfying. They feel real. Yeah. But I think it's because of those limitations. Because of those limitations, you can tell they worked harder at it. Whereas like a lot mm-hmm. of these shots, they could have gotten with a drone today. It would have been too easy and you wouldn't feel the effort as much. You wouldn't feel the weight. You wouldn't feel the weight of the camera. Yeah, there wouldn't feel the weight. Yeah. Like, I feel like I feel the crew sweating as much as Lola. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I love that. You know? That, that's, yeah. how, that's visual storytelling 101. I feel the editor sweating. I feel the I feel the, the composers sweating the, making the, this house music. The, the, filming, the... the filmic language of a motion picture should capture the interior feelings of the character. And I feel like a drone is not a human perspective. And so thus fails to capture the interior feelings of any character. Hmm. Okay. 
Yeah. Hmm. Just my two cents. All right. Anything else uh, we want to talk about with Run Lola Run? Um, um, I do want to talk about this DVD release I have. Oh, boy. Okay. He's got okay. his physical media out. I got my physical media out. Okay. So, uh, to describe it, uh, the cover is split into three sections, much like the movie is split into three sections, right? The first one is a close-up of Lola, and it says run in the corner. The third section is, like, a bunch of squares of Lola running. Whoa. And it says Lola and then, and then the third one is is the is one of the bed is one of the red lit bed shots of uh, Lola cool. and Manny. It's nice. It's nice, yeah. and it's like the most the most late '90s, early 2000s DVD ever. Like it has like the really cheapy looking menus. The disc itself is uh, it's one of those double sided discs. Oh yeah, baby. Where one side is uh, widescreen and one side is standard. Mm. Give me choice, baby. Give me choices. And you know, it has a little booklet in it. You know, it's nice. got. It has uh, the title. They don't do the same or It's got the title of all the chapters. Yeah, like in all a little the scenes. Booklet, yeah, man. You know, and they don't do that anywhere, especially with like when I see it on Blu-ray. It's just like chapter one, two, three. It's four. got a whole. I don't really fully understand the logic of. Oh no, this isn't a review inside the booklet. This is a little s, a little mini essay from Tom Tykver. Oh, cool. Aww. Would you like me to read the opening paragraph? Read the opening paragraph. I'll read the opening paragraph. Mm-hmm. I always start with the image. I get an image in my head, and I start wanting to get it moving. To build a story around it, and to make a film out of it. In Run, Lola, Run, it was a woman running. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. Would you guys say that there's a similarity between Lola... And Ramona Flowers? No. Hmm. No. Nah. No, I don't see that. I'm, I'm doing some thinking. Uh, the, the the brain's doing some 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 moving, and I, uh, they're, they're, I I would say they're almost opposites. Yeah. Yeah. They're That's what I'm opposites. saying. Ramona is the Ramona's the anti Lola. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's the compare comparison. Lola will do anything, uh, anything, for her anything boyfriend. for her man. Yeah, anything we'll do anything for, for a boyfriend. Meanwhile, Ramona is the girl wants to be taken back by her exes. Mm-hmm. Ra- no, and Ramona is the girl that guys will do anything for. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like that's kind of Ramona's deal. Um, just because they're they're women with dyed hair. <laughs> no, no, no. I I think that why I drew the similarity between the two of them is because I feel like because of how different they are. You know what I mean? The, of course, they're both women with dyed hair, and yeah, they both... Ramona's a lot more goth, I feel like. Well, it's not even the goth aspect. It's just in the sense of the personality. Like, Loa is so selfless, and it's not to say that Ramona isn't, but she's more of that laid-back personality that she doesn't have that ambition or that drive that Lola has. No, yeah, I mean... I still only feel like Edgar Wright has probably seen Run Lola Run. Oh God, yeah. Oh, of course. This is a this is a very like important movie mm-hmm. for a lot of for a lot for of a people. lot of filmmakers. Mm-hmm. It's an important movie for me. I want to make a movie like this. Let's make a movie like Hell this. Yeah. Let's I would totally next... love to make a movie like after this. Cosmic Coffee. Let's make our next movie like this. Yeah. Also, a couple more things I want to talk about with the DVD, which, by the way, I bought for one dollar at an antique store. Yeah, baby. <laughs> That's what I'm talking yeah. about. That's what I'm here for. It's got the commentary I've mentioned multiple times. Very good commentary. And it's got 
a hilarious English dub. No. <laughs> no. Red Row. I wouldn't recommend watching it with the English dub the first time. You don't say. No shit. <laughs> but do watch some scenes of the English dub because it's very funny. It's like an anime dub. Like, yeah. it's just like, <laughs> like, like, like Manny's like, Lola, I'm in trouble. You know, like it's that kind of vibe. Oh, God. That's, the, that's pretty much Manny's energy, though. And Manny is a helpless anime boy. But Manny is, Manny is just so German. You know, he is. He, <laughs> he's, he's distinctly that, German in his helplessness. You, you you lose something without that that German voice. You know, Th- this movie made me want to watch more German films because they got a nice language. Those germs. Mm, those germs. Those germs have a pretty language. I dig it. I think it's a very goofy sounding language sometimes. I don't know, man. We're now we're now listening to <laughs> the, there's just something in my blood. It like it, it called for me. It was like Colin. Come home, you know, like just the, the that that German <laughs> language, just the, it, it, it it scratched a certain itch for me that was just very satisfying. That's uh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, then Colin's going back to the motherland. To the Deutschland. To Deutschland. Is that what Deutschland means, motherland? I believe so. Neat. Okay. Yeah. I'll, okay. My one complaint about the DVD is that the subtitles are slightly out of sync in the opening. Oh, that that happened to me. That happened to me. I was watching it on Vimeo, and the subtitles oh. were totally off. And I'm like, in I the, can't... But just, but just in yeah, the beginning. Yeah, just in the beginning. I don't know. That's what I did, too. I was cranky, I was cranky and I couldn't abide, so I just uh, rented it on Amazon. But was it only in the beginning, Ian? Yeah, it was only in the beginning. Oh man, that's two two dollars and seventy two cents that I that, that I could still have in my pocket. Wait, you watched it on Vimeo? Yeah, I found it on Vimeo. Oh, it's so like just someone uploaded it to Vimeo. Yep. Yeah, you can just do that. Yep. <laughs> that's insane. Yep. <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah, no, I so I assume they ripped the same subtitle track from the DVD. Probably. Then. Um, but you know, it's it's only because I'll be honest. The first time I watched this is, was the English dub uh-huh. <laughs> because. Because of that, the subtitles being out of sync in the beginning, that bothered me. And I was like, alright, I guess I have no choice. But actually, it's only in the first scene, like the opening. Once Lola and Manny start talking, it's in sync. But it is uh, it is super weird that the, the subtitles are out of sync with those quotes in the beginning. And then with the narrator speaking. Oh yeah, and that, that was like, the big annoying thing for me. That's like that. That really fucks it up. But the the rest of the movie, the, the subtitles are fine on the DVD. It's funny that they have those quotes in the beginning because it makes you feel like it's going to be a deeply pretentious film. Like when any movie opens with quotes, I'm just like, oh god, this guy thinks he's a smarty pants. Actually, I got more. I got more cultural German context that I learned from the commentary. Go ahead. Um. So the first one is like a really smart T. S. Eliot quote, right? Yeah. And then the second one is from like a soccer player, <laughs> <laughs> and so like that's and who like he was like he's just like a jock that won the World Cup, right? And so like Teichver was saying that like German audiences always laugh at the second quote. Yeah, you know. So that's I guess we we don't have that context to see why that's Ew. we don't have the context to see why that's funny, but you know. But that that's that's already like a mission statement that Teichver is using. He's like, yes, this yeah. film is highly sophisticated. Like a T.S. Eliot poem, but also it's radical. It's crazy as fuck, and it's awesome. It's like soccer it or rules, something. Dude. It makes me want to drink a Capri Sun, man. Okay, maybe a Mountain Dew, not a Capri Sun. 
I, th- I think Capri's Shun is a more inherently 90s drink than, than Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew's got the caffeine yeah, content, though. That's why. You need the caffeine for this. No, Surge. Surge. Oh. You're playing a dangerous <laughs> game, Ross. You're playing a dangerous game. <laughs> wait, is, was Surge around in the late 90s or is I don't that believe an 80s so. Thing? I'm going to look that up. Yeah, wait, let's look that up. I think you guys are kind of sleeping on Capri Sun. Capri Sun tastes pretty good. Okay, so... Capri Sun's fine. 1997, so a year before this. Oh, is that when it, it came out? It, yeah. Okay, Okay. so yeah, okay, so Surge. Surge. Yeah, Surge. But I don't I don't know what the German soda... I don't know what the, the German sodas being drinking in Berlin were. Oh, fun fact. Did you know that uh, Fanta was invented by Nazis? What? <laughs> yeah, basically, it was... Uh, during World War II, Coca-Cola stopped uh, manufacturing soda for Germany, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are these there are these soda factories in Germany that are like, what do we do? We don't we can't make the Coke, right? And and so they're like, all right, let's make a fruit flavored bre- beverage. And then later, you know, they made Fanta, and then Coke bought them out again because they're like, oh, you made a pretty good you made a pretty good drink, you Nazis. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> It's, it's kind of funny how much, uh, I don't even know if I want to bring this point up, oh, but it's interesting how much after World War II finished and Weimar Germany dissolved, how Americans were like, hey, there's, there's, some, there's some cool stuff over there. We should, we should grab some of those scientists and stuff like that. No, 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 wait. Weimar, isn't Weimar Germany the period before Hitler? I don't know. Let's see. Isn't like Metropolis and Cabinet of Caligari, isn't that the Weimar period? Let's see, is Weimar Germany Nazi Germany? Okay, so 1919 to 1933, that was the Weimar period. 1919 to 1933. Yeah, okay, so that's pre-Nazis. That's pre-Nazis. Yeah, so like the Weimar period is the cool artistic period. Yeah. And the Nazis stopped on its tracks. Yeah, they fucked it up. And then, and then after the dissolution of Nazis, there's like kind of a quiet period, right? Because all these, you know, all these German people were like, "Fuck, we were Nazis." They right? were down bad, man. And then it was, and then it was like the baby boomers <laughs> of that of Germany. Oh yeah, they that, bounced that back. Kinda, that kind of were like, we should make a new identity, and so that's why we have uh, Kraftwerk and and Run Lola Run and the really know? cool highway. That Kraftwerk yeah. wrote a song about. No, 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 no. The the Autobahn was made by Hitler. Uh But Kraftwerk reclaimed it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of lot of interesting things were made in Nazi Germany, like Fanta and Volkswagens. And basically, <laughs> instead of throwing them out, we were just like, you know what? Let's reclaim this. It can still be cool, even though Nazis invented it. It's a little like idiosyncratic, but it's like this is part of our identity, and we gotta acknowledge it. But also, makes let's make some cool, fun, non-hateful things. Mm. Exactly. You know. You and know. Like this is like we're back to art because like not Nazi cinema kind of blows. It sucks. Uh, <laughs> it sucks. In this house, we don't like Joseph Goebbels movies because Joseph Goebbels is a bad filmmaker. Joseph Goebbels is more of a producer. It's like Lenny Reifenstahl. She's like the she's like the head filmmaker. You know. Yeah. Anyway, you know, Triumph of the Will, all that. Do, do you guys um, know the Fritz Lang story about how he was asked to be the minister of propaganda? Really, I don't know that. What the fuck. Even though he's like half Jewish. Yeah, like <laughs> right. 
What's really cool is that he was asked to be the Minister of Propaganda. His wife, who is also his producing and writing partner, told him you have to take this because she was a Nazi and she was like, you have to do this. And that night, he left for Paris. He loved his wife. He loved his home country. He said, fuck these Nazis. I'm going to Paris. What a boss. I think that's pretty cool. That kicks ass. I thought he went to America and made American propaganda. No, no, he went to Paris first because you can't, you can't fly all the way to America from Nazi Germany. But then eventually he went to America. Oh, yeah, he went to America. Because there was a Fritz Lang movie about a guy that almost gets to kill Hitler. Oh, yeah, no, like, I <laughs> yeah. really want to cover more Fritz Lang cinema. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think he's made a lot of cool... He made movies with Spencer Tracy. Yeah, like, that seems like a fascinating dichotomy. Like, Spencer Tracy in a Fritz Lang movie? Like, I, I feel like I really want to see that. Yeah. Anyway, um, run, Lola, run. Good German movie. Good German um, movie. And it's been highly influential because when I was, uh, when Ian was a teen, he listened to a band, Yellow Card, and their song, Ocean Avenue. The music video is similar to um, the movie of how they shoot it. It's just doing it three different times. I can't exactly remember everything, but Mm. um, I think it was like get to his girlfriend or something. That's fun. that and also uh, Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask. So that's another one. Um, Wait, they were directly inspired by Run, Lola, Run? Yeah, the film was the initial inspiration for a three-day cycle for Legend of Zelda, Majora's Wait, Mask. Wait, what year did Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask come 2000. out? 2000. It did? Yeah. I didn't realize that the N64 went into the 2000s. Indeed it did. I would really like to play the Zelda game sometimes. I've never played a Zelda game, and I've heard nothing but good things about them. When did the GameCube come out? I don't know. <laughs> Let me look that up. When did the GameCube come out? Because that some feels off. So, Colin, you never played a Legend of Zelda? I've never. I I wasn't a game kid, really. Oh my my, my mom thought it would stunt my creativity. So the GameCube came out in two thousand one. I'm not sure how well that timeline with Majora's Mask lines up, though, because like, how long does it take to make a game? I don't know. Go ask the developers. I'm not sure. <laughs> if you lock them in, in in the office, I think they could pump out a game in a few months. But anyway, what are we rating this one, boys? I'm conflicted. You know, because like, it's funny. I rated it four stars on Letterboxd, but after this jubilant conversation about this movie and seeing how much of a cultural impact it has had, and for reigniting my love for the German. But not reigniting my love for the German language, like like inspiring my love for the German language to begin with. I'm uh I'm thinking about maybe giving this five stars, and and I know I give oodles of five stars in this podcast, and I want to cope my five star giving, but this 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 seems like a a perfectly iconic five star movie. Hey Ross. Hmm. Uh yeah, I think this is just pure cinema, baby. Like this is. One of those movies you look at, and you're like, yeah, this is what movies were invented for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, five stars. And I'm going to go along, five stars. I thought this movie kicked total ass. It was so much fun. And that, that's another thing, too. It wasn't just thematically great or asked you know, a lot of questions to the audience. It was just, just a fun-ass movie. Like, why the fuck can't we have that more? Because... We don't have creativity in Hollywood's landscape. Well, no, it's. I mean, we we we. I mean, we got we got everything everywhere all at yeah, once. Yeah. That's kind no, of. It's it's making a comeback. 
like like my my buddy made a very instant comment the other day where he said that the 2010 cinema was like 80 cinema where it's kind of like barren and very little creativity except in the indie world but the 2020 seems like like the 90s where it's all these independent voices going into the mainstream again and i think that's very true like i i, I talked earlier on in the podcast about how lame the aesthetical principles of the 2010s rule and i i I stand behind that still you know what i mean like the grayscale and how everyone was riffing off of a han zimmer score where it's just a a long droning sound everything was too serious and clean everything was too serious and clean there was no creativity the thing was too is just so fucking boring you know it's that's the biggest thing for me like yeah i can watch a movie that's you know, a grayscale, whatever, dark, broody. It's just make it fun and just make it good, you know? But also, like, the, the 2010s gave us her. Come on. No, I'm, I'm in, in the yeah. 80s, in the 80s, there were a lot of great movies, too. Mm-hmm. But the majority of 80s movies are trash. But they're all unique voices that worked during the 80s. Oh, for sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, yeah. Speaking of creative bankruptcy... Well, uh, we're reviewing the latest mobile film, uh, Quantumania. No, no, you didn't say the whole title. It's uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. The sweatiest title. <laughs> that, that's kind of long, and that's not an exciting title. Like, with Run, Lola, Run, I like titles that are either commands or questions. You know what I mean? Yeah, who's got to be like, yo, you know what my favorite movie is? Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Yeah, I mean, I think... All of us really loved Phase One Marvel. That was the best phase. I think we all deeply enjoyed those movies, and we were all teenagers during that phase or preteens, and we want to see them return to that phase. Yeah. So we're giving the beginning of Phase Five a chance. We're going in there with our fingers crossed, and we we are not praying for Quantum Mania's downfall. In fact, we are hoping that Quantum Mania will be like a phoenix. That will rise from the asses of Phase Four. You're you're bullshitting so hard right now. I'm not bullshitting. I hope it's good. <laughs> I hope it's good. No, I just, I don't. I mean, I'll I'm I'm open to being surprised, but I'm expecting it to not be great. Modoc, I'm excited for Modoc. That's why I'm seeing this. Are you guys gonna be rewatching the other two Ant Man's in preparation? Fuck no. Uh, I feel like I should. Yeah, Colin, you have to, because, like, did you see the first Ant-Man? I did not. I haven't seen any of the Ant-Man films. The first one's actually, like, decent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, the problem with Marvel is you also have to be like, oh, well, did you see Endgame? Yeah, I mean, like, you, you have to watch, like, 30 movies and TV shows to be caught up with just the single film. It's just like comic books. Like, you can't just watch a trilogy of a superhero, because there's always a big event thing that comes in between the second and third one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a pain in the ass. It would be nice if they did, like, a previously in the MCU section before each movie. You know what I mean? That'd be very considerate. That'd be fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, 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 HBO does that for every one of those shows. You know what I mean? Like, previously on yeah. The Last of Us, previously on, on House of the Dragon. It would be nice if they did that before a Marvel movie. Because most of the yeah. time, I'm just like, I have no idea what these characters are talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, stay tuned for uh, next week when we'll be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantumania. That's right, Quantumania. (laughs) 
at least Modoc is gonna be in it. <laughs> but before we go, thank you very much for listening. If you're new to the podcast, please uh, subscribe to whatever channel that you're viewing it on. Leave a comment, write an Apple review, whatever. Oh yeah, leave a comment. We want to hear from you guys. You know, like I I suggested an idea to the two other strays in the group that uh, every fourth week we choose a movie that our fans recommend to us. The problem is we got to get a fan base. So it's not just, (laughs) so, you know, not one of us can just, you know, put someone in there and recommend another movie that we want to see. Because that, that, that's something that one of us could potentially do and rig the system. So we need to make sure that we have a big old fan base so that we can put that system in place. Because I would like to review movies that people would want us to review. So along that line, comment and become part of our fan base and let us know what you want to hear. Join the Stray Dog family. Join the Stray Dog pack, baby. The pack. Yeah, the pack. Yeah. Okay. All right. So long. So long. Thank you for listening. Take care. Live long and prosper. You can't steal Ian's live long and prosper. Give me a break. (laughs) Oh, you guys guys have taken Eureka from me. Ross, I I see you writing Eureka in the group chat. And if you can write Eureka, I can say live long and prosper. Okay. All right. So I get to say, may the force be with you. I'm fine with that because that's not something I would ever say. So you you have total creative ownership of May the Force be with you. Hell yeah. We are keeping this argument in, in, the, the, in episode. the episode. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's, we are. it's not leaving. Yeah. This, is, this is good banter. Anyway, yeah. so long. <laughs> Take care, guys. All right, bye. Later.